Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We will read Luke 7, the verses 18 to 35. So in this passage, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the crowds about the ministry of both John the Baptist and himself. Some messengers from John the Baptist come to him. It will also help to uh, help us to gain some context for our text, which is the next passage right after our reading here. So Luke 7, beginning at verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his, his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together Psalm 18, stanza 1.
The text for this morning's sermon is Luke 7, the verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you love God? That's a basic question, also an important question, and maybe you think to yourself, yes, but not as I should, or perhaps, yes, but I know I can grow in my love for God. And that's true. We can all grow in love for God. But how does that happen? How does that happen? Does that love grow by our own power? Or is there something else to it? 
What our text this morning is teaching us is that growing in love for God comes from God himself. It comes from Christ Jesus himself. Growing in love for God comes from focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes from knowing that gospel and believing that gospel and responding to that gospel. What our text is teaching us is that love for God arises from God's free forgiveness in Christ. And that's essentially the theme for this morning's sermon. And we have two points. First, the root of a lack of love. And second, the root of a life of love. Now, in the passage right before our text, Jesus Christ spoke to the crowds about John the Baptist and himself. John the Baptist lived a life free from all luxury. He preached a stern message of judgment and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He came to prepare the way for the Lord. And then after him came the Lord Jesus. And he came preaching good news. And he ate and drank freely. And he even ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors, had fellowship with them. Now, some people, like the tax collectors, accepted both John's message and Jesus' message. They knew they needed to repent, and they knew they needed a Savior, and they found it in Jesus Christ. But others, like the Pharisees, rejected both John's message and Jesus' message. They thought John was too strict and stern. They said he had a demon. They also did not see the need to repent. On the other hand, they thought Jesus was too lax and loose. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. And they did not see the need for his forgiveness. Now, at first glance, the Pharisees might seem to have made the wise decision. Both John and Jesus seemed like extreme characters, extreme men. And the book of Ecclesiastes says that a a wise man will avoid all extremes. Yet, the Lord Jesus finishes his discussion about John the Baptist and himself with these words, Wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, some people like the tax collectors accepted John's message and Jesus' message. And other people like the Pharisees rejected it. Which choice was the wise one? The wise choice will be revealed in the lives of these two groups of people. And John and Jesus' ministries will be proven wise by the people who accepted their message. It will reveal itself in their lives. It will reveal itself by a life of love. And our text gives proof of this. It's a test case of Jesus' words. Verse 36 sets the scene. A Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus into his home. He does not seem to be overly hostile to him. Perhaps he just wanted to get a better look at this new rabbi. And the Lord Jesus accepts his invitation. And they reclined at the table. They 
they ate and drank uh, lying down in those days with their arm propping them up. There they were around the table enjoying a meal. Now, after the scene is set, a tension point arises. In walks a woman. And she stands at Jesus' feet, which would have been away from the table. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. And then she dries them with her hair. She then kisses his feet repeatedly and anoints them with expensive ointment. Now, all of that must have been somewhat awkward to watch in itself, but that's not all. This is not just any woman. She is a sinner. Notice that the text does not deny her many sins. It affirms it. This is not a false judgment that people have made against her. And Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, labels her as a sinner. And the Lord Jesus will acknowledge later on, too, that yes, she has many sins. And let's not pass over this fact too quickly. It, it might be easy for us to immediately look with compassion on this woman as she pours her tears out onto Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. But remember the ugly side of her life. Her reputation was earned. Maybe she had lived a sexually promiscuous life and everyone knew it. Maybe she had engaged in a life of theft. Whatever the matter might be, it was clear she had made a mess out of her life. She lived a life contrary to God's law, offended his holiness, and deserved to be cast into hell forever. And while she lived her life of sin, she probably hurt many of her fellow Israelites along the way. So that's this woman. And the tension, crea- the tension created by her Displaying affection for Christ leads to the turning point. The turning point is the judgment of Simon in verse 39. The Pharisees' thoughts will give way to the rest of the words of our text. In verse 39, we read this. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. See, what he sees going on in front of him cannot but cause judgments to arise out of his heart. And that's what so often happened as Jesus carried out his ministry. Judgments arose out of people's hearts. Their hearts were exposed. And that was even prophesied about in Luke 2. When Jesus was presented in the temple, Simeon prophesied, saying, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is to be opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts 
may be revealed. And that's what's going on in our text. Simon's heart has been revealed, even though he doesn't say any words. See, people could not help but make judgments about Christ. He was either salvation or a stumbling block. There was no middle ground. So in our text, Simon's heart has been exposed, it's been revealed. Jesus' actions or non-actions in this case are a stumbling block to him. The Lord Jesus had said to the crowds in that passage we read right before our text, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Simon was offended by the Lord Jesus. He's made a number of judgments in his heart. First about the woman. She is a sinner. And this was, of course, true, but he saw nothing else. And by judging this woman in this way, he's also made a judgment about himself. You see, to this Pharisee, there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are sinners and there are righteous people. This woman is a sinner because she made her life one giant train wreck. Obviously, people like her need to repent. But other people like him who lead decent lives are righteous. They don't really need to repent. Simon also made a judgment about Christ. By letting this sinful woman touch him, he thinks Jesus cannot be a prophet. Perhaps he wasn't sure before. Maybe he invited Jesus over to form his own opinions about him. But his mind is made up now. Christ cannot be a prophet to him. If he was a prophet, he would not let this woman touch him with a ten-foot pole. Simon sure isn't going to let her touch him. So Simon's heart has been revealed. But here we must understand that the Lord Jesus cannot but expose our hearts too. We cannot remain neutral when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. Thoughts and judgments are going to arise from within us. And his words and his actions are going to challenge our hearts also. And you know what? It's good to pay attention to that. It's good to pay attention to the judgments that arise out of our hearts. Also in response to Jesus' ministry, but the judgments that arise when we're around other people. It's good to listen to them. They teach us something about ourselves and about our worldview. Those judgments that arise out of our hearts show us what we believe about sin, about ourselves, about God, and about salvation. See, in our text, Christ shows the importance of the judgments that have come out of Simon's heart. So now the Lord speaks in response. And notice, first of all, that in Christ's response to Simon, he shows he is indeed a prophet. Simon said a prophet would know that this woman 
was a sinner, and Christ shows in his response, he knows all about her life. He knows her many sins. He's a prophet. But Christ shows he's more than a prophet. He shows in his response, he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. He has divine power to look into somebody's heart. And because of that, Simon should have taken great notice. Who is this person in front of me? I, I better listen to him. And the same thing goes for us too. Christ responds by, Simon, by saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? It's a simple parable. A denarius was about a day's wage. So the difference in debts was substantial. It's like having your car paid off or your, your whole mortgage on your house canceled. Which person will love him more? Jesus asks. It's such a simple parable. A child could tell you the right answer. It's so obvious. So Simon says, half committed, well, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. You have judged rightly, Jesus says. Simon could make a right judgment about this parable, but he could not make a right judgment about what was going on in front of him. So Christ used this parable to show him his own lack of love. And Simon's lack of love is revealed by his actions toward the Lord. Simon invited Christ into his, own, his home. He did not even provide the standard hospitality for that culture. No water for the feet. Did not give a welcome kiss, which was a standard thing to do. Did not refresh his head with oil. It's like someone were to come into your home and you do not shake his hand, do not, do not welcome him in, you do not offer to take his coat, you do not invite him to sit down, don't even bother to get a glass of water. And that sort of treatment would send a message. It would send a message that you don't think the person you brought into your home is an honored guest, but at, at the very most, you're equal. That's how Simon acted. And why did Simon fail to show any sort of love for Christ? It's because he did not see his need for repentance or forgiveness from the Lord Jesus. And we see that in Christ's words when he says, He who is forgiven little... Loves little. You know, it's really, really quite fascinating what Christ does here. He doesn't directly accuse Simon of a lack of love. Right? He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't, he simply points out his lack of hospitality and then he just lets those words hang there for a moment 
He who is forgiven little loves little. Who do you think that might be, Simon? You can almost hear the crickets chirping. And what should Simon conclude? His self-righteousness might have led to outward obedience and a decent life. But it also led him to only see everyone else's sins and not his own. It did not lead him to true repentance. It did not lead him to ask for forgiveness. And it certainly did not lead him to love God or his neighbor. He who is forgiven little loves little, says the Lord. He gave Simon a chance to reflect on his own heart and life. And he gives us a chance to reflect also. We should ask ourselves, how much, do I lo- how much love do I have for God? How much love do I have for the Lord Jesus? And here's a test for you. Imagine that today... In between services, the Lord Jesus Christ came to your home for lunch. How would you treat him? What would you say to him? What would you do for him? Would your treatment of Christ look more like Simon the Pharisee or like this sinful woman? Now, perhaps those words challenge us. That's good. Sure, we can all grow in love for God and and the Lord Jesus. But how does that happen? How can we grow in this love? Well, that's what we'll look at next. Look again at Jesus' parable. One person had a debt of 500 denarii. It's equal to about two whole years of wages. In one moment, without anyone compelling him to do so, the creditor graciously wiped out his debt. It was gone. It was forgiven. It was forgotten. And the creditor did this even though it was within his rights to throw that debtor into prison until he paid. Can you imagine the joy and the relief of that person who was forgiven that great debt? Of course, that person will respond in love and in joy. The debt was wiped out at the creditor's own expense. How could you not respond in love? And this is exactly what this woman feels towards the Lord. We don't know exactly how much she knew about him. She almost certainly heard Jesus preach and teach to the crowds. The Holy Spirit had worked faith in her heart. Maybe Christ had even met her before personally. We don't know. But one thing is sure, she knew she was a sinner. She knew she found grace from God through Jesus Christ. She 
She too is a sinner. She had put her trust in Christ. She knew she found forgiveness through him. His ministry removed the burden of her sins from upon her. So when she learns where Christ is, she cannot but go into the house and show her affection in a tangible way. And her hospitality went way beyond the standards of that culture, way beyond what Simon did. She showed she loved the Lord. This is why Christ makes the conclusion he does in our text. After telling the parable, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you barely gave me any hospitality at all. But on the other hand, she's gone beyond what you have done. And so, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Now, Christ is not saying that this woman's love for Christ has paid for her sins. That's not what he's saying. Her love is not the basis for her forgiveness. But he is saying her love is confirming evidence that she's been forgiven by God. So Jesus says to Simon, you judged the parable rightly, now judge what's going on here rightly. Look at the love she's displaying. Make this conclusion. Yes, she's a great sinner, but she's also forgiven. Christ is telling us to to see things from God's perspective. Almighty God has forgiven her, so mortal men must not treat her with severity. Simon did not see that God could take a great sinner and transform him or her into a person full of love for God. Here is where we must understand God can also transform us into people who are full of love for Him. He can do that with anyone here does not matter who you are or what you have done. What is needed? Well, see your great need. Don't think about someone else. Think about yourself. Understand the realness of your own personal sin. Do you understand that without Jesus Christ, you would be cast into hell forever? In utter darkness, in sorrow and suffering for your sins, that's your great need. See and understand your need for repentance. This this woman needed to repent. Yes, she did. Her tears are evidence of her sorrow. But Simon saw no need to repent at all. We must understand that everyone needs to repent before God. Finally, understand the greatness of God's mercy and His wonderful forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Look at the parable Christ tells. The debtors could not pay. 
The debtor did not lower, or the creditor did not lower the debt. He canceled it, wiped out. And this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Christ came to pay our debts. He went to the cross to suffer and die for our forgiveness. And in him, your debt of sin is gone. Gone. God gives you eternal life instead of eternal death. Do not doubt the realness of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It is real. It is there. Your sins are forgiven in Him. Believe these things. If you don't see and believe these things, your love for God and for Jesus Christ will be little. But if you understand and believe these things, your love will grow. You will find yourself being more eager to do deeds of love for Jesus Christ. As Christ makes his conclusion about the sinful woman, he then addressed her directly, saying, Your sins are forgiven. Why does he say this to her now? He's publicly vindicating her in front of everyone in that room. He's declaring what God had already declared about her. And they then in that room should change their attitude towards her. He's also giving her further assurance of her forgiven state. And that would be encouraging for her. It would encourage her to love God even more. And it should also encourage us, do not despair of your sins. Come to God, confess and believe, and enjoy God's forgiveness. Now, as Christ speaks these words to the woman, there's no, not joy on the part of the listeners. Instead, there's only more judgments. They began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Well, their hearts have been revealed by Jesus Christ again, hasn't it? Remember, Jesus is either salvation or a stumbling block to people. There's no middle ground. But actually, this was a good question too. Who is this who forgives sins? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And at this point, those people in that room were left with a choice. Either Jesus is an unthankful man who rudely points out his host's lack of hospitality and proudly, even blasphemously, claims to have the divine authority to forgive sins. Or, he is a true prophet of God who has the ability to search minds and hearts, possesses divine authority to forgive sins, and expects people to show him love and devotion. We do not know what those people concluded in their minds. Although the answer should have been obvious. But that's, not ma- that's not what matters, what they concluded. What matters is what we conclude. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to save us. Will it be faith or unbelief? Rejection of Christ or acceptance? Belief. Christ is the Son of God who forgives sins. 
Put your faith in him for salvation. And that's what Jesus assures this woman at the end of our text. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She's not saved by her works or her love. Those were demonstrations of her faith. She was saved by the work and love of Jesus Christ. She put her hope in that. And with that faith came peace. Peace with God, peace of conscience. It would not be taken away by those who had condemned her. And this is a peace we are left with too through the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. And may that knowledge motivate us more and more to love God always. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 84.